The reading this morning, as you'll see from the screen, is from Psalm 142, and you'll find that on page 623 of your church Bibles. It's actually a prayer of David's uh, when he was hiding in the cave from his enemies. Psalm 142. I cry aloud to the Lord. Lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way in the path where I walk. People have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the hand of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Well, thank you, Rod, and uh, good morning, everyone. Lovely to be with you in church this morning. Hope you feel that. Uh, as you're keeping your Bible open to Psalm 142, I just wanted to uh, give a special thanks to everybody who helped out at the Serve Manly Working Bee at Manly Village Public School yesterday. Uh, thank you for your Herculean efforts and especially the effort of uh, William Mucko who put it all together. I think they deserve a round of applause. Thank you. Let me pray and we'll get underway. Heavenly Father, thank you for language, for words, words we speak to one another, words you've given us to speak to you, uh, and then your words to us, and let your words to us shape all of our words that we might increasingly resemble the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. I reckon it would have been about uh, December the 28th or 29th, maybe the 30th at the latest, certainly within that week after Christmas period, and uh, the young mother dragged her three kids through the checkout where the shop had criminally placed toy plastic laser pistols. Two older kids, brothers, looked at each other and you could see they were going to take their stand. We really want one of those, Mum. After all, the Star Wars movie had just come out. They were polite at first. Mum, could we please have one? But when you first don't succeed, you try and try again. And uh, I think I heard them say, we never get anything nice. To which the mum replied, what about all those presents you got at Christmas just a few days ago? But then the ungracious little snots continued. And I'm pretty sure they said something like this. Yeah, but we didn't get laser pistols and that's what we really wanted. And it just ramped up from there. And so what was this young mum going to do? Was she going to stand her ground and resist or would she give in and avoid the momentary embarrassment of this tirade but risk creating a pair of future monsters? Well, she gave in that time. I don't recall my mum ever giving in again. (laughs) And uh, you can tell me whether she created a pair of monsters in my brother and I. 
That uh, supermarket showdown is almost uh, one of the few places where we see lament in our culture. And there it's almost a caricature, isn't it? It's a cartoon lament when a child doesn't get what he or she really wants. Uh, We don't consider ourselves to have that sort of British stiff upper lip, keep calm and carry on and all that. But I think it's true to say we're embarrassed to lament uh, about our um, griefs publicly, to weep at our losses, to cry out in our sufferings, to really passionately, audibly express our pain and our sorrow. It just seems a bit too undignified to us, I think. And so it might be of some surprise to you that lament is not only described in our Bibles, but is actively encouraged in the book of Psalms. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, We are in the middle, uh, as you'd have gathered, of our commitment series that's called Deeper Places. And we're tracking through the book of the Psalms to help us engage with God in a more honest, a more open, a more real, a deeper way through all the experiences of human life. In the first week, we learned that the the blessing of God that's available comes against the backdrop, a really complex backdrop of an openly hostile world where nations rally against God and his people. Last week, we saw that an appropriate response to our brokenness, by which I mean our sin and shortcomings, was counterintuitive. It was to uncover it and confess it so that we might experience the joy of forgiveness and restoration. Now, last week was really dealing with our sin, our our internal shortcomings, if you like, ways in which we have fallen short in and of ourselves. But the idea of lament is, is more about external things that have been thrust upon us that are not directly related to our sin. Let me give you an example. A few weeks ago, I was reading uh, the novel All Quiet on the Western Front. It tells the story of a uh, a high school class of young German men, I mean boys really, who uh, had been urged by their PE teacher to enlist in the glory of fighting for the fatherland on the Western Front in Northern France during World War I. At the end of the book, this is what the protagonist says after two years of fighting our thoughts have turned to clay they're molded by the variations in the day good when we're in camp and deadened when we're under fire no man's land is outside us and inside us too we're soldiers and only as an afterthought and in a strange and shame-faced way are we still individual human beings Now, friends, that's lament. It's an emotive, uh, an evocative expression of sorrow and grief at things that have been thrust upon us from outside of us. Uh, Suffering, uh, enemies, illness, calamity, loss, and our response to it, our tears, and our legitimate complaints. And the first thing that we discover about lament is that we are allowed to, to lament aloud. We're allowed to lament aloud. We're permitted to complain, even audibly. And furthermore, even to direct our complaints and that grief towards God. You can see there in your Bibles that the title to Psalm 142 says that it is a prayer from when David was in the cave. Most scholars think that refers to the cave of Adullam, which you can read about in 1 Samuel chapter 22. There was an intrepid adventurer by the name of William Thompson 
uh, and listen to how he describes this cave when he found it in 1881. It had a fearful gorge below, gigantic cliffs above, and the path wound itself around a narrow shelf of rock. At length, from a great rock hanging on the edge of the shelf, we entered by a long leap into a low window that opened into the perpendicular face of the cliff, creeping half doubled through a narrow crevice we stood under the dark vault of the first great chamber of this mysterious and oppressive cavern our whole collection of lights did little more than make the damp darkness visible so can you feel yourself being in that cave i'd love to turn all the lights off but it'll make no difference what a vivid description of course the question is what is the dude doing there in the first place some of you will know that uh, David, as Rod alluded to, will know that David was on the run, was on the run for his life from King Saul, that is his king. Uh, in fact, his former employer, the father of his best friend who had become paranoid because David had become more popular than himself. And so King Saul marshaled all his resources in a way that only a king could to find David and then kill David. In other words, David wasn't there to shoot a nature documentary. But from his very first words in Psalm 142, from inside that oppressive darkness, we find out that we are allowed to lament aloud. Read along with me in uh, verses 1 and 2, where David says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. You see there in the first two lines the first two verses four different ways that David passionately expresses his grief out loud and I take it he says it four times in four different ways because it's so important that we understand lament can be an appropriate way to address God when we face calamity when we experience suffering that is thrust upon us from outside of us not because of any personal sin or transgression we are permitted to lament. We are permitted to passionately express our grief and sorrow verbally, audibly. We're allowed to say, this stinks. We're allowed to address that lament towards God. And there are so many songs of lament in the book of Psalms that it really is its own category. In fact, there are more laments than praises in the Psalms. And there is lament about all sorts of things. In this very Psalm 142, as David cries from in, within the darkness of the cavern, you sense his depression, don't you? In verse 3, my spirit grows faint within me. You ever felt that? You sense his loneliness in verse 4, no one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. You ever said that? Sense his growing desperation in verse 6. Listen to my cry, Lord, for I'm in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me. They're too strong for me. There are other places in uh, Psalm 6, David is sick. And, and you suspect it's not just a case of the winter cold or a bout of the man flu. It's one of those long and abiding illnesses from which you're not sure you're going to recover. And he says these words, have mercy on me, Lord, I'm faint. Heal me, Lord, my bones, man. Even in my bones, I'm in agony. 
And Psalm 88 finishes with these bitter words. You have taken from me friend and neighbour. Darkness is my closest friend. I could tell you my stories of um, sitting with people, holding withered hands, reading from the Psalms and John's Gospel. It's always the Psalms and John's Gospel as they breathe their, their life's last shallow breaths. I could, t- I could tell you about walking into hospital rooms to see people who've just lost their little one. Just, just trying to be there as they quite bravely and beautifully clutched each other. Desperately trying to work out how they would navigate the next 30 seconds. Or in um, way more kind of just prosaic times, praying to God and hearing myself say, I hate you. You know that you've gone too far when you tell God that you hate him. I blame my mum for buying me that plastic laser pistol in the supermarket. (laughs) And I I caught myself and said, actually, Lord, I don't hate you. I'm so disappointed. But uh, the greater truth is that I don't need to tell you my stories because you've got stories of your own, don't you? Dozens of them. Dozens of you have shared them with me. Often through tears, but then on other occasions, in that sort of (laughs) characteristic, understated Australian way, you just speak, but I could still hear the hurt in your voice. And sometimes we can feel like we're the only ones who are in pain. And we feel like there's something wrong with us. Can I say there is grief and there is pain that is strewn and scattered across our fellowship as if a car bomb has just been detonated. And that's just from the stuff that I know about. And so what I'm saying to you today is that hurt or injury is permitted and you are allowed to express that grief and sorrow. You can bring your complaint to God. You don't have to worry that you're going to hurt his feelings or that somehow he doesn't have the emotional capacity to deal with it all. And I'm further saying that the Psalms might even give you the words to use so that you don't end up going too far like I did and tell God that you hate him. The Psalms of lament show us that we are allowed to lament allowed now I think one of the things that is sadly lacking in uh, this church and in this congregation in particular is a serious discussion about aircraft carriers see you feel it too don't you I know we don't talk about them enough which is a shame because there's lots we can learn about them this week I was working out how I was going to redress this deficiency And I discovered there's only about 20 of them in the whole world. Uh, Basically, the Americans have got half of them. It's a picture of an American one. And there's a few other nations, um, France, India, Brazil, Britain, uh, Japan, and uh, just a couple of others that have got a single carrier. Um, As it turns out, we've got two. They're called L1 and L2, not to be confused with B1 and B2. Bananas in pajamas. Um, and you can see these on the ferry ride into the city, but they're actually not proper ones. And they've had problems with their propellers once they get outside the heads. 
that could be a problem, couldn't it? Russia has got just one, and China has got just one, which used to be a Russian one. They just sort of renovated it. Here's a picture of the Russian one. Now, I want you to look at the Russian one. I want you to tell me what you notice is different from the American one. What do you notice? I can see some people doing this. That's exactly right, isn't it? You notice that the Russian one is tilted upwards. It gives the planes a lift when they take off. The American ones are level, and it's not all that uncommon for American planes to actually dip below the level of the runway before then flying off into the sky. Friends, the Psalms of Lament are like the Russian carriers. They're not like the American ones. They're tilted upwards. They aim to give us a lift, which is just a way of saying that lament leads to praise. You know what the Psalms as a whole are trying to do? They're trying to train us in a language that is kind of full and comprehensive, not just sort of randomly patched together, uh, kind of emotional fragments that are scattered all about that we've just sort of pick up on randomly. And they force us to deal with deep suffering before we get there. And then they give us a language and words to use to express our deep suffering. We're in the midst of it. They help us to complain well without telling God that we hate him. But then they do this. They tilt upwards. They give us a lift. Because just the lament, just the complaint, just the cry is a natural human response to sorrow and pain. It's, it's common experience, which means you're allowed to do it, but it's dangerous to stay there for too long. There is a pathway of lament that doesn't leave us in it forever. There's a guy called Christopher Ashe. He wrote a wonderful little book about the Psalms. This is what he says about lament. The moment we address our lament in prayer to the true God, it becomes something more than the outpouring of human sorrow. In other words, what's common to us all. It contains within itself, by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the seeds of a future rescue and therefore praise. Praise is the appropriation, it's the grabbing in the present of truths that will only be experienced in the future. You know, the people of the Hebrews, the first recipients of this book, this collection of songs, they had a title for it, a single word that just means praises, which is pretty odd given that there are more laments than praises in the book. But what do you reckon even that is trying to tell us? If you did happen to watch the introduction to the Psalms by Dr. Andrew Sheed that Bruce was referring to a few weeks ago, he said there's, there's actually a movement right across the whole book from Psalm 1 to 150 that tilts upwards from lament towards praise. I'm trying to say, friends, that the Psalms of lament don't just give us words to express our pain, they give us a lift. They tilt upwards towards praise, almost forcing us to look at thanksgiving, the very moment when we feel like it the least. And friends, that's actually a good thing for us because it's dangerous, dangerous for us to remain in lament for too long. You might find yourself even dipping below that line. Well, how does this work in Psalm 142? Let's have a look. Uh, you see it actually in the first three verses. Verses 1 and 2, as we've already discussed, give us permission to lament. But then have a look in verse 3. 
when my spirit grows faint within me. Uh, it's you who watches over my way, Lord. That's what happens. There's the upward lift. Did you see it? Did you see the tilt? It's you who watches over my way. Or uh, let's have a look at the next little bit from verse 4. Uh, look, there's no one at my right hand, no defender. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. Verse 5, then I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Uh, do you see? There it is again. Verse 4, I have no refuge. Verse 5, you are my refuge, Lord. Do you see that? Verse 4, no one cares for my life. Verse 5, you are my portion in the land of life. There's the upward tilt, friends. There is the lift that leads from lament towards praise. And that movement, that lift is very important. But it requires an act of faith, doesn't it? It requires an act of faith to believe it. It requires an act of faith and a gladdened heart in the midst of suffering to be able to say those words out loud. You know, this very second, it feels like it requires an act of faith even to be saying it in front of you. And so as we finish, I want to give you a reason and a hope that could generate such faith in the midst of suffering that might enable you and I to go from lament towards praise, that might enable us to tilt upwards. And the reason is that that lament was fulfilled in Jesus that we might never need to lament in the future. Before the Psalms were our songbook or the prayer book for our own souls, you'd have realised they were the songbook and the prayer book of Jesus. He grew up, I suppose, praying them and singing them and he would have known them well. And so it's no coincidence that as he hung on the cross at his execution, just before he died, he cried out from Psalm 22 verse 1, these words of lament, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he didn't just pray those words of lament, he actually fulfilled them by being forsaken by God, as God simultaneously turned his face away from his eternal son and also poured the righteous judgment upon his son for a world full of sin, including ours. He was forsaken by God so that we might not be forsaken by God should we turn and trust in Jesus. He tasted death for us so that we need not taste death, that death might not be our final foe that gets us. He experienced hell on our behalf so that we would not have to suffer through it, but might experience eternal life where there is no lament. And of course, that great upward lift, the great tilt was the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, from the grave, from the tomb, as seen by hundreds of eyewitnesses, never to die again. That's the great lift that gives us future hope, which in turn enables us to not only lament in our present suffering in appropriate ways, but also for that lament to lead to praise. That is the great upward lift. Nevertheless, within Psalm 22, there is a lift of its own. The, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Of verse 1, 
moves to this in verse 24. For the Lord has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. Firstly, that refers to David. Then, of course, it's fulfilled in Jesus. But we pray that line ourselves in him. For the Lord has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He's not hidden his face from him, at least not forever, but has listened to his cry for help. And they who seek the Lord will praise him. May their hearts live forever. And indeed they will. They will praise him forever. We will praise him and not lament. Friends, as we finish, uh, we... uh, We are allowed to lament aloud, but I beseech you not to let your, I beseech you to let your lament eventually lead you towards praise. It does require an act of faith in a heart that has been made glad. And the reason you and I can have that faith and even that gladness is because of the Lord Jesus Christ who not only prayed these prayers of lament, but who fulfilled them when he was lifted from his death to life, never to die again. And then who bids us to join him, to travel in a similar upward tilt from the pain of this life through our own physical death to join him in his everlasting unlamentingness. Amen and amen. Now just...